This is episode number 79 of the Paleo Women Podcast. Welcome to the Paleo Women Podcast. I'm your co-host, Noelle Tarr, a nutritional therapy practitioner and a certified personal trainer. And with me is my partner in crime, Stephanie Ruper, author of the best-selling book, Sexy by Nature. This show is the place to be if you're a fan of moderately amusing banter and uninhibited real talk relating to health, nutrition, fitness, body image, and just about everything in between. While hanging out with us, please remember the information on this podcast is intended to provide helpful and informative material and should not be used in place of medical advice or treatment. Now, let's have some fun. Yo! Hi, everybody. Yo. (laughs) Yo. I've been thinking about jumping in and saying something before Noelle for like 40 episodes. (laughs) And every single time we come on, I like take a big breath like I'm going to do it. And then I don't. Yeah. Um, I just did it. You are like the yoer. You always say yo. I haven't. I don't think I've said yo since I was like a teenager. But you're. (laughs) I was like 12. You're, you're all, even on text, you're like, yo, I'm like, hey, hey. Well, yo, it works homie. for me, doesn't it? It does. It fits you perfectly. <laughs> you know what I haven't heard you say ever or recently is you used to say like, huzzah. And uh, what did you used to say? Huzzah. Huzzah. Well, oh, that'll be appropriate later. We'll get some huzzahs going later for sure. <laughs> you also used to say hooray and you used to use a lot of fun expressionary <laughs> terms but yeah, that's died now down i now. don't now that you know i don't now i'm a really big fan um i go through i go through phases i'm a really big fan of all caps sentences without punctuation <laughs> i think they're so fun i love them so much that's what i'm into these days Great. um yeah yeah and i'm sort of i'm over the like the decorated words i don't know i just get bored and time to move on to new stuff i know there were so many things like i used to say lols with a z at the end and now i'm like oh that's so obnoxious (laughs) but lol with a period or an exclamation point i'm all about yeah i always do lol all all uh, caps and you're always like do you always do lol all caps i'm like yeah it's laugh out loud like it's supposed to be loud and you're like no (laughs) I think it's fine. I like it all caps. I I enjoy the variety because there are nuances, right? I'm I'm a really big. I think "lol" exclamation point is really funny. It is also Uh, "lol" all caps. (laughs) Yeah, recently we've been going "lol lol lol lol." (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I do say "lol." I do say "lol" out loud instead of laughing. I I go "lol." I know you do. But I have yes. I have yet to say the LOL, LOL out loud. I'm not sure how I would do it. Lol, 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 lol. Lol. Yeah, it wouldn't have the same effect. I think we've just been so funny lately that it's like lol doesn't cut it. You know, you have to have more things, more lols. So Yeah, just- and people used to say things like LMAO or LMFAO or uh, ROTFL, MAO. My favorite is my little brother once said to me, Steph, you put the syrup on my rotful waffle. Rotful being R-O-T-F-L, which means rolling on the floor laughing. You put the syrup on my rotful waffle. I thought that was the sweetest, most eloquent thing anybody's ever said to me. 
Man, he is so hip. He's something. <laughs> He's so hip. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll have to use that at some point, especially on the podcast. I'm really sorry. <laughs> sorry, audience, that we just... This was a whole bunch happened. of nothing. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to the Paleo Women podcast. We talk about paleo all the time. All the time, because paleo, anything new with paleo4women.com. You know, I really wish you would stop asking me that. <laughs> oh, man. I'd feel less bad about saying no. Um, there are new things, but Noelle has told me I can't talk about them yet, so mm-hmm. it's Noelle's fault. It's my fault. I have new things at Coconuts and Kettlebells. One, I will be soon, soon out of my parents' house, so... The last few weeks, we haven't had the best recording situations. We apologize. There have been. Oh, yeah. Did I? (laughs) Sorry. Did I hear a landline ringing last week? You did. Yeah. There's actually a landline at my parents' house. Uh, I have never actually owned a landline. So this is a new experience for me. I was like, "Um, what am I supposed to do about that? So I unplugged the phone this week. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So that's taken care of. But um, the heating and air conditioning is broken, so there's a some guy working right outside the room doing something. So you know, it's just it's you just never know what you're gonna get. And Stephanie, it's also been a heat wave, so Stephanie is in 90 degree, uh, maybe 100 degree heat, and with no air conditioning, sitting with a fan on her as as the same as last week. So, <laughs> so this is our situation with coconuts and kettlebells. I am pretty excited. I am getting moving on my program, Strong From Home. I know I keep talking about it, but it's going to come out at some point. I'm working on workouts. I've had a lot of fun working on them. You can follow my Instagram. I um, probably am going to have some people test them out to give me better feedback on them. And it's just been a lot of fun. So I'm excited about that. Um Depending on when this podcast comes out, I might actually have already moved or am probably moving at the moment. So I'm really excited about being in Philly, getting to know Philly. Thank you to everybody for sending me some helpful information and advice. It seems like there's quite a few people in Philly and a lot of you have been reassuring and have sent me things like um, information about farmers markets and where to go and where to get meats and all that stuff. And that's just the coolest thing. So I really appreciate it. Um, And if I need your help anymore, I will just ask it on the podcast and let people email me because it's been really helpful. And I and so I'm I'm really thankful. I'm I'm really excited. Everybody seems really warm and friendly in Philly. And and I'm just I just can't wait. So it's going to be cool. It's going to be a new adventure. Uh, I'm sure you'll hear more about it maybe in the in the upcoming weeks. Um, Any any other things? I'm trying to think if there's any updates. I'd like to just roll into questions because we got some. We have a a good one. (laughs) We have a good one that we are uh, shifting into this week's that we were supposed to cover next week. So got a lot to say. Got a lot to say. Um, Yeah, ready for questions? Always awesome. Collagen is the most abundant protein in the body and is a key constituent of all connective tissues. It provides strength and structure to bones, joints, muscles, skin, and hair, and affects our gut integrity and digestive strength. 
This is why we're big fans of Vital Proteins, which offers 100% pasture-raised collagen products, as well as beef liver capsules. Their most popular product, collagen peptides, can easily be added to water, smoothies, teas, and soups for supplementation, and the beef gelatin can be used to make things like homemade gummies or cookies. As a special offer for our community, Vital Proteins is offering a buy two items, get one free discount on their website, plus free shipping. To get this incredible deal, simply head over to vitalproteins.com and use promo code PWP, all caps, no spaces at checkout. Check the show notes for more details about this special deal. Question number one is from Janet. Hey, ladies, I am newer to the paleo lifestyle, but ever since I did the Whole30 last fall, I can't help but stay paleo. I came off acne medication that I had been on for six years. I love how I look and said goodbye to that after dinner bloated feeling. Why would I go back? My husband is also completely convinced it has changed his life, so that helps. My question for you guys is not about any health concerns I am having, but about research. The health and wellness market is huge and full of a lot of bad information. After reading It Starts With Food, a lot of the fallacies I had believed about food had been debunked. It made me realize just how manipulative the marketing of large food companies can be, and I'm skeptical of a lot of things deemed healthy in my local grocery store. I'm wondering where you go to find your information on nutrition. I like doing the research myself and knowing why things are or are not healthy for me, which is also why I love listening to your podcast and reading your blogs. Thanks, Janet. Janet, this is super cool. I don't think we've talked about this on the podcast yet. Um, So thank you for asking. It's really interesting because it's always a question of who do you trust and why, right? So we could all crack open some textbooks and learn the physiology of human bodies and then read some medical journals and (laughs) learn statistics and figure out precisely what we think works best for bodies or not. But to be honest with you, if you did nothing else for five years at the end, you might come out with like a little bit of knowledge that was useful. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not saying that it wouldn't be useful all along, but what I am saying is it takes a lot of time and energy to really start with the basics and the science and be very rigorous about it. It takes a lot. So what we ultimately end up doing is yes, some of us learn those things and Noel and I have, by and large, learned a lot of those things, though definitely not all of them. There are so, so many things about the body I do not know. Like, just being straight up clear about that. And um, any doctor, if they said otherwise, would be lying. Because even though they know a lot about bodies, too, I mean, there is such a huge turnover of studies coming out daily, and everybody specializes. All the doctors have a specialization, right? We all know that. I tend to focus on hormones. Noelle knows a lot about fitness and the gut. I always defer to her in that way, in those ways because we just, we, our time is limited. So what do you do about it? You find, you do broad reading. You do a lot of Googling, right? Like, unfortunately, people have to wade through the stuff, but you have to get a sense of what there is out there and why, some of it is better than others, right? You can't pick 
a, a school of thought or a type of research or whatever if you don't if you don't know why right I, this is how people end up believing in things like the metabolic typing diet <laughs> right <laughs> uh, because somebody can come out there and, and talk very authoritatively and sound like it's good science like oh my blood type no like no you know um but how do you know about that and so i think when we come across certain ideas we should google them and try to read all of the perspectives if people who found the blood typing diet read about it and then said hmm i wonder what other people think and then read the refutations they'd be like oh crap the refutations kind of seem to have a lot to say and so that's how I approach things. And that's also why coming into paleo at the beginning, I was like, hang on a second. Do we really want to stop eating carbs? Because I was willing to listen to the other side. And I think a lot of paleo luminaries are exactly the same way. They're not dogmatic. I think that when we then start looking at, okay, who do I trust to be my primary source of information? We want to look ultimately at the methods and values that people have. And we can discern this from reading their blogs, from reading their about me's, from reading how they talk. You know, um, are they humble? Do they perpetually correct themselves? You know, some people come to a viewpoint and they stick to it forever. And I don't, I don't trust any of them about anything. You know, even if they have good points to say, like, I will take away some of the good points, but I don't trust them as an authority. And I never trust anybody solely as the one authority, but rather try to consider them in a, in a community of you know, scholars or bloggers that I'm aware of. So I look for people who are always correcting and looking to be uh, more intelligent or more correct, right? They're looking for a better answer. I'm looking for people who are rational. You know, I'm looking for people who are willing to look at numbers and not make decisions based on their emotions and not be swayed by social trends. Yeah, I'm looking for people who are thoughtful about social implications, right? I'm looking for people who have awareness and who are diligent and rational and looking to self-correct. Fortunately, this ends up being the case a lot in the paleo world. Now, not always, but we do find some really great gems. You know, I love... Um, some of our researchers like Chris Masterjohn and um, Stephen Guillenet, they are very thoughtful and self-correcting. They're academic. You know, Chris Kresser is always looking to be smarter. Rob Wolf is, has so many times come out and said, you know what? I changed my mind about this. And I think that's by and large why paleo has be, stayed a thing. You know, if paleo were, the specific little diet that Lauren Cordain came out with so many years ago now, and just that one thing, paleo wouldn't be alive today. But because paleo leaders at the get-go and still currently, many of them, us, have been willing to change their minds and still continually correct their views, um, it stayed alive. And thankfully, remained a tool that's helpful for even more people than it used to be right now. It services women, I think much better than it used to. And that's again, just because we've been willing to, to keep our minds open, to be open-minded. So I think that that's sort of how I think about bloggers, how I think about the authors that I encounter, you know, uh, and you can also 
looking at these things over time, develop an eye for gimmicks and develop an eye for advertising and develop an eye for when they're trying to manipulate you. You know, if there's a picture with somebody with their shirt off on the front of a book, there's a pretty good chance that it's, um, that it's going after something that it's prescribing to a model. I know that there are people who do that ethically, <laughs> um, specific examples like Mark Sisson come to mind, right? Uh, Abel James, there are people who do that and well, um, but if it's, you know, sort of women parading around and skimpy little things, if it's highly, um, like cultured or crafted or, photoshopped right and it's promising you know if they're promising quick fixes that's like big no right a quick fix a miracle cure the thing that's going to end all ills i think it's worth reading there may be grains of truth to what these people are saying but it's definitely not worth ascribing to rather just something to know that exists and to use it when you do more research um i think that in general i like being able to see the the marketing gimmicks, the quick fixes, um, the people manipulating your self-esteem. You know, that's what I was getting at, talking about people with their shirts off. Um, I think those things are, are important to work, look out for and the values. That's sort of what I do. Does that get, I think that kind of answers the question. Does it answer the question? Totally. Yay. Right. I love that assessment. And also I love the assessment of why paleo is stayed a, a lot more relevant because we have evolved, right? We, we continue to, um, and, and while this isn't like, I'm not, I'm not going to say that this is true of every paleo person, um, because a lot of people are pretty dogmatic and believe that there's only one thing and one way to eat and that everybody needs to eat that way to be healthy. I think that a lot of the more prominent leaders and, and researchers who, um, advocate a paleo lifestyle, meaning um, a more of a return to the way that we ate prior to a lot of these agriculture advancements, prior to um, raising cattle and, and growing corn the way that we do today in our modern society and with CAFOs and monoculturing and all that kind of stuff. Like, I, I think that a, that is the reason why paleo has continued to stay pretty relevant and contain, it continued to gain a lot of traction and also continued to gain a lot of new new people into the lifestyle. And I also think that a lot of people see that. And I think that that's why we have a lot of listeners who may not follow an exact paleo diet or even would consider themselves to be paleos because they consider themselves, they, you know, paleo is just more about eating healthfully, right? And eating mindfully and eating the way that's right for you and including the whole nutrient dense foods that are, that are right for you and serving yourself physically and mentally and emotionally. And also, you know, now we're starting to really talk about this whole sustainability piece and, and how we grow our food and how we engage with the life cycle of our food and how we can support the environment through that process. And so I'm really excited about where we're going and where we've been and, and I think that all the play, all the, the the people that you recommended was spot on, spot on. So hopefully that helps, Janet. I would say, you know, what I do, I always keep a very um, skeptical eye when I'm reading stuff online, even from people that I trust, even from people that I trust. I try to, if I read something and I'm like, wow, that's really interesting information, I will go and and get familiar with the studies that were quoted. 
and I'll see what types of studies those were. Were they just basic observational studies? Um, are they just co trying to correlate things? Or was this a really well done meta-analysis of a lot of different things? And so, you know, all that stuff takes a little bit. It just takes exposure and learning it. And I think that you're absolutely capable of that. I will say going through the NTA training was really helpful for me because I got, I, I was able to build a foundation and then build from there. Um, but I think you're capable of, of since you like to do the research and like to learn, I would say go for it and, and try to get a little bit more um, exposure to that kind of stuff, to some of those studies on PubMed and stuff like that. So if you're looking for the simple and easy solution for meal planning, PrepDish is everything you need and more. PrepDish is a subscription-based meal planning service with both paleo and gluten-free options. When you sign up for PrepDish, you'll receive an email every week with a grocery store list and instructions for prepping your meals ahead of time. After only one to three hours of prepping on the weekend, you'll have all your meals ready for the entire week. This will save you time, which there seems to never be enough of, and you'll have delicious meals to make like Asian turkey lettuce wraps or cherry pecan baked pears. As a special offer for our community, Allison is offering a free two-week trial to prep dish meal planning. Take advantage of this deal by heading over to prepdish.com slash paleowomen or check the show notes for more information. Question number two is from Emily. Hi, ladies. I am a recent follower of your podcast, and I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for all your the valuable information. In your last podcast, Newell said her husband was a Marine as the wife of a sailor. I would like to know, how, do, how does your husband manage eating? My husband is currently deployed with the Marines and is struggling with the food. Is there any way to successfully be paleo or at least strike a balance? And to broaden this to a wider audience, do you have any tips in general for when food is or at least seems to be out of your control? Thanks so much for your input on this issue. Um, since this was addressed to you, do you want to go first and then yeah. Yeah, and talk then we'll, about control later? Yeah, I think that this is a huge thing, uh, especially for people who are traveling, who are doing um, long-term traveling out in the country. Uh, this, is, this is something that um, hmm, I, I think that... In the beginning, so when my husband deployed, he was on a ship. Uh, he deployed with a mew, and which is basically three different ships. He was on the uh, carrier. And the kitchen typically produces like a meat and a vegetable. And they'll, you know, of course, bread is at a premium and desserts are at a premium. However, I don't think that we stressed about, and I would encourage your husband and anybody in the military while deployed, I don't think that it's, it's not about eating paleo, right? And I, 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 would, I would encourage you to not think about that. So not think about, oh, these beans aren't paleo. I would instead think about what are the, what's the nutrient-dense foods that I can eat here? What are the most nutrient-dense foods that I can eat here? Uh, how, can, I, can I get an extra couple of portions of vegetables, even though I know they're you know, whatever from they're frozen and they're from a bag or, you know, it's just not the best ideal situation, but can I eat a salad? Can I eat a, a big serving of vegetables here and two or three portions of the meat and then maybe have some beans or some rice, right? And, and maybe I, um, maybe I make the most of the food that's available to me, not necessarily trying to be paleo, but trying to eat and look at food from a per the perspective of what's going to make me feel my best. So I would encourage you to maybe shift away from that, what can, can I eat paleo, and instead kind of seeing food as 
how can I get the most vegetables and meat in? And then what else can I, can I crowd around that? Like the beans and the rice and stuff like that, that would allow me to have a lot of energy. Is there a lot of fruit around? Can I, you know, take some apples with me? Can I take some, um, bananas with me from, from the, the cafeteria, from the, from lunch or from dinner? Um, again, I've never been deployed. I haven't been on a ship. I haven't been on an aircraft carrier. I've only seen pictures. I've only heard secondhand from my husband. So that's what he did. And then every day, uh, and every day, every month, gosh, every day would have been a lot, but every month I sent him a large, huge package, uh, with a lot of snacks. And so that's how he filled in his addition. Cause a lot of the snacks, snacks is where things get a little dicey, right? It's usually like packaged chips and candy and chocolate and stuff like that. So what I would recommend is every month, maybe every two weeks, you know, if he needs more support, sending a big package of all of the things, <laughs> all of the things. Um, Epic bars, I used to send, I would make huge, like big, huge gallon sized bags of raw nut mix. And so, you know, that's a lot of calories and that's really sustainable and a lot of energy right there. I would sometimes send some like, you know, vegetable chips, like, like similar to like Jack Honest, I would send, um, you know, Lara bars, um, Epic bars would be great. Uh, WB kitchen. Uh, now they call them on bars, but they have like these cookies and nut and seed bars. They're paleo friendly. I mean, I would send boxes of that stuff and that would sustain him, you know, in between meals for let's say three or four weeks. And so if he needed it more often, I probably would have done it, but I used to stuff a ton of stuff. I mean, jerky, everything you could think of, I would stuff everything that I could into these boxes and ship that to him about once a month. So if you can do that cycling, um, you know, on a two week rotation, I think that that would be great. I really try to make sure that when we're doing, um, especially when we're traveling and we're doing a lot, we're spending a lot of time away from home, that we make sure that we get some sort of grass fed beef, because I know that that's going to be probably limited and because um, most of the beef that you're going to get, you know, when you're traveling is not going to be grass fed. So we always make sure that we get the Epic bars or a different type of jerky that is from grass fed beef. And so that will be a protein source, especially like that could be your protein source for lunch. If something else didn't pop up, say they, they had like lasagna for lunch or something or lasagna for dinner, like he could eat one or two Epic bars and that would be a really great protein source. And then he could stock up on the veggies and stuff like that. So I always make sure that we always have a good source of grass fed beef. And then, um, and then anything else packaged dried fruit from, I mean, Traders Joe's is great at that, uh, packaged dried fruit, pineapples, you know, um, dried bananas, dried mangoes, all that stuff, dried coconut strips, and then, um, and then maybe think about making those large, uh, raw nut mixes and anything else that you think would be really helpful, even really paleo friendly, quote unquote desserts. I tried to send some dark chocolate once it got melted, but I did put it in a bag. And so he was able to eat it because it cooled it down. But, you know, you got to be careful with that stuff because it is going to, um, heat up or melt, um, <laughs> if, if it's, if he's in a hot place right now. But, um, but sometimes that stuff works depending on, on the season and, and the time. Um, Steph, do you want to jump in with traveling long-term away from home? Um, yeah, I do everything I can to eat the way that I have to. I think, but that's, that's different because I can for one, right? In the military, you can't really. And also, um, I am, I, I other people aren't as affected 
you know, by their foods as, as I am. And if I ended up being in a situation in which I couldn't do what I wanted, you know, <laughs> I went out with a friend the other week and he was only in town for a day and he really wanted Thai food. And so I ended up eating like deep fried chicken at a Thai place. And I like would never, I would never eat that in my normal life just um, for many, <laughs> many reasons. Uh, but I, I, I chose to cause, cause he really wanted to. And in that case, I felt like I didn't necessarily have a choice. So I, I, w- I was happy to, but I do, I go out of my way to, to do what I can to control my eating situation. I know that that's not what most people who talk about body image and food and stuff would say, you know, people would say, uh, it's cool. Like just eat, you know, food is, it's, it's not going to kill you. It's, this isn't your permanent situation, right? Like unless you have an autoimmune disease, you'll be fine. And unless you're doing this every single day for your entire life, you'll be fine. Even if you do it for months at a time, you know, maybe not years, but if you eat reasonably poorly or less ideally than you would like to for a couple months, I think that's totally okay. I, I, I don't find anything wrong with that at all, you know, and do what you can to make sure you include good stuff, right? Paleo is about excluding things that could potentially be less good, but it's also about including things that could be better, right? Could be more nourishing, like Noelle was saying. Um, but I think it's, I think it's okay to just be out of control per se and just eat the stuff that's around you, you know, partake in different cultures, foods, you know, (laughs) they will not necessarily be made with the most awesome stuff. You know, if you're getting food on a street corner in Beijing, I I can, I can promise you there's going to be some things in there you've never heard of and maybe might not want to hear of. (laughs) Right. Um, or it could be, you know, nothing but wholesome ingredients. You actually, you don't know. It depends on who's cooking it for you. So I think that's totally legitimate. And I would do it that way if I didn't have to worry about my um, my kidneys. And I'm always trying to protect my skin, you know, with the acne. And so I avoid soybean oil and I avoid, uh, what else do I avoid? Everything. Uh, dairy. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but it's mostly it's mostly dairy that really messes with my skin uh, and soy and stuff. So I I do I avoid those things. But other than that, you know, just enjoy life, enjoy the world, be nourishing when you can, as much as you can, and otherwise just I don't know, be happy. Yeah, that's great advice, and it's a good uh, point about the body image community and or bo- you know body positivity and is all about embracing um having less control right and then kind of being at peace with the fact that you can't control everything and that's okay and so i love the idea of experimenting with that and eating out this is more to the general broad you know advice category of what do you do when you travel yeah absolutely experiment with things i do have to say though i'm much like stephanie in the fact that i when we went away, we went away to Mexico on a week-long vacation. We still bring a lot of stuff. I bring my own desserts. I bring my own chocolate. I bring um, – we brought a ton of Epic bars. We brought a lot of RX bars, which, by the way, would probably be awesome for your husband. But we brought a lot of RX bars. We bought a lot of just snacks and things that we would want to eat, uh, dried fruit, you know, while we're out at the pool. And that wasn't so we could be in more control, per se, to, you know uh, – make us feel more comfortable. It was more because, um, I've had, 
I've had really bad episodes on vacation before, and I'm just not interested in that happening again. So I find that when I'm able to eat my normal breakfast, which is typically when I'm on vacation there, I just ate a ton of fruit. So I'd eat a ton of fruit, maybe an egg for breakfast, and then I would eat my own snacks and stuff. Like I'd maybe get some shrimp or some tacos for um, some, you know, of course, gluten-free corn tortillas for myself for for lunch. And then if I was hungry in between dinner, you know, if I was able to have an Epic Bar, an RX Bar, or maybe uh, a little bit of a snack, some dried fruit, stuff like that, I would, I felt way better because I was able to keep some stability and keep a lot of those uh, same normal foods that my body's used to processing and I know works well for me. And then at dinner, you know, I would eat whatever I want to and they would make substitutions for us. And of course, a lot of you know, I don't do all dairy and I don't do all gluten. And so when I do eat those things or I get exposed to those things, it, it, it wrecks a lot of havoc and it, it's not enjoyable. So for me, it's all about keeping that balance of it being exposed to beautiful food, wonderful foods that I want to be eating that I know are going to be very nourishing. That may include gluten-free bread. That may include rice. That may include a lot of different things. That may include tacos. Uh, but keeping some of those snacks with me and then making sure instead of trying to splurge on whatever dessert that they were making, um, which they tried to make stuff for me that was gluten-free, but I was still skeptical. I was like, I just don't know. Um, and it's also it was so sweet. It actually, some of it was just giving me a headache. Um, so, you know, instead of, of like trying, going through that whole battle, I was just like, I really just want my own chocolate. So like, you know, I brought my own chocolate and, uh, that was perfect for me. And that's what I, that's like, if I wanted anything, that's probably what I would have wanted. So, uh, you know, keeping a little bit of that normalcy, it's about just the balance, keeping a little bit of normalcy and then also giving yourself the freedom to kind of go with the flow and see what's around and experiment with the foods that are presented to you. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Question number three is from the voice of the people. Woo. Okay. Dear paleo women. Thou art verily the sweetest of the sweet, the fairest of the fair, and the priviest of the privy. Perchance, perchance then you shall be able to allay some dire worries of my poor puzzled heart. Hark now, the United States women's soccer team delivers unto us heavy tidings. Despite their unprecedented courage, persistence, strength, and much beloved reputation, as well as countless victories against previously unvanquished foes, their worth is spat upon. The powers which employ them cheapen, shun, and belittle them, compensating them in the habit of some miserly... miserly. <laughs> I'm trying so hard to get that. Miserly mongrel. This contrasts verily with all the men's ensemble to whom vastly greater spoils go. Wherefore such a confusing phenomena transpire? <laughs> Wouldst thou address the plight of these heroines? Gramercy and love anon. T-V-O-T-P. That stands for the voice of the people. P.S. Go Sox. P.S.S. Team Fuji. <laughs> Teameth Fuji, I should say. P.P.S. Hashtag Teameth Fuji. Um, I just, I can't. The voice of the people has spoken. They have spoken. This is a serious spoketh thou in, what did you call it, Elizabethan times? This is Elizabethan English. <laughs> I didn't write this letter. I didn't. I know. I you just helped me translate it because I was like, I don't know what this word is. Please help me. 
It um, came out of the ether. Yeah, I'm so glad. Can I give a little bit of background here on the women's team? Yes. Or have you done some research? Oh, well, I know, but okay. uh, I watched the video. I know. And then in order to write this letter. I know. <laughs> but <laughs> well, okay. So for all of you who may have remembered, I think we talked about this last year, but the women's team, the U.S., United States of America women's team, they won soccer, which in Europe they call it football. Uh, but soccer, we'll, we'll refer to it as the women's soccer team, won the 2015 FIFA Women's World Cup. Okay, this was their third World Cup that they had won since the first Women's World Cup since 1991. Our women's team is amazing. They're talented. They've got a ton of awesome women on there. They've won four Olympic gold medals as a team. Um, and they are ranked currently right now number one in the world. And they broke the record for the most watched soccer game period between any gender. So they have had they broke the, the record for the most watched soccer team, men or women. Okay, so five players recently from the women's team, they filed a federal complaint in April accusing the women's soccer um, of accusing U.S. soccer of wage discrimination because they're earning as little as 40 percent of what players on the United States men's national team have earned. Uh, Men's team right now, for reference, is ranked uh, 29 um, and they play significantly less games and and they get paid a lot more. and so a lot of people have been arguing this, and this is just something that Steph and I have can't not talk about, you know, but a lot of people have been arguing um, because there's a lot of videos going around and such that the men's team brings in more revenue. And um, this is somewhat true. I mean, yes and no, but this is somewhat true because the men's team is much more established, right? So men's soccer has been around for a lot longer. Uh, the World Cup has been around for a lot longer, and therefore they have larger and better contracts with Nike and ESPN and Fox Sports. It's much more established, right? But that's changing. And the women's team, they brought in $23 million in game revenue and turned a profit of $6.6 million last year. And the men's profit last year was just under $2 million, and they're projected to lose a million this year, while the women are projected to profit about $5 million. So this is why these five women from the U.S. Uh, women's team are saying, this has got to change. There, There's very real and concrete evidence of discrimination here, and it, it is really complicated when you look at their wages, um, the women typically make about overall and on average make about a quarter of what the men make. Um, some of the top players do make near to what the top men, men's players make. So for example, they're, uh, they still make less, but it's a smaller percentage less. Let's say it's like 10% less than the top men, uh, men's, the best men's uh, soccer player makes over the best female soccer player. But as you go down the list, so like number 25 on the, the roster in terms of like rank of competitiveness and ability and all that stuff, uh, the females make about half of what the men make. And then like the number 50 female on the list uh, will make 10 times as less um, in relation to her equal male counterpart on the on the men's team. So we'll link to a New York Times article unpacking a lot of the information showing just how much the women's team is bringing in and showing a lot of information about, um, you know, the wages and all that kind of stuff. Because it's a sticky argument and it's it's a little crazy, but I think there's a clear, uh, clear discrimination, wage discrimination going on. And a lot of people don't don't really they aren't open to the idea that this could be a possibility. 
Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, it's just, that's the toughest thing that people won't consider the possibility. You know, when I was first watching this video that Noelle sent me this morning about women's soccer, I was like, well, maybe it brings in more revenue. That was the, like, the, maybe the male team brings in more revenue. That was the first thought I had. And my tendency is to push back on all ideas that come my way. And so that's perfectly fine. But I also know that, you know, probably within me and within a lot of people is an impulse to say, oh, like, here are people just clamoring, making a fuss, pretending they're victims or whatever, when really they're not. And, and we should all just go about our days, right? Like there's something in us that wants to preserve the status quo. And that specifically wants to deny that uh, feminism, fe- feminism is a real thing and feminism is important and that we should pay attention to it. So here's the thing. Feminism is a real thing. Feminism is not hating men. You know, it's so funny. There are so many movements around the world, all over the world, <laughs> And there are always people in it that are not, that are like on the fringes, that are extreme or what have you. But they tend, they don't always define the movements. But we find here that with feminism, people end up talk, uh, talking about bra burning, which all right, like that's fine. Like I, whatever, burn your bras, I don't care. But people bring up these examples and um, by and large, I think probably due to pushback from older white men bringing up examples of women and polarizing them and talking about them as man-hating and being extreme like uh, and by extreme I don't mean I don't mean extreme in terms of wanting women's equality because that's great extremity but they they bring up these examples that don't fit what basic feminism is which is simply as defined in Webster's dictionary the social economic and political equality of the sexes that's what feminists want. And when people say that they don't want to be feminist, I think ultimately what they're trying to do, especially women, ultimately what they're trying to do is distance themselves from this movement that society has cast in a bad light. But the reason society has cast it in a bad light is because men, because society is resisting feminism. It's resisting change. It's resisting being progressive in this sense. Right. It, it's resisting women advocating for their equality and women want to distance themselves from it. I think ultimately because they want to look cool to men. I'm serious. I, I my whole life was that woman. It wasn't until just a few years ago, at which point I was like, aha. Uh-huh. And like Noelle said to me the other day, yeah, once you have that aha uh-huh moment, you don't unsee it. And you don't stop being able to see the world and your entire day-to-day life in terms of the many different gendered ways that things happen, right? Like, so for example, some feminist issues, we start to, like mansplaining, right? You start to notice that men interrupt you all the time. You start to notice that men want to explain things to you all the time. Like, this is a real thing. But it's statistics. This is science, right? Men interrupt people and interrupt women especially far, far, far more than women do. And men dominate conversations and boardrooms and and that sort of thing, right? You notice that. Um, 
we know that sexual assaults and rape are perpetrated more on women than on men, although on men it certainly does happen, right? We know that the way in which women dress is policed by society more than the way men dress, right? Um, people have opinions about it, want to condemn women for it, want to put some sort of moralizing lens on the way that women work and look, right? And we know that women's bodies are objectified more so than men's bodies. And of course, there is some objectification in men's bodies, but the thing is that there is a disparity. And we know that women's bodies in advertisings are used as objects, as things that we can like look at and use sexually to sell something rather than consider as a whole human being. We know that all these things exist. Like it's, I, it's, again, it's science, it's data, it's looking at culture. We know that these things exist and to want them to be better is not a bad thing. And that's why I identify with being a feminist, right? It's not a bad thing to want these, to, these things to be better. And I know so many women who say, yeah, I believe in women equality, but I'm, I, I wouldn't say I'm a feminist. And my question back to them is, why not? Is it because you're afraid of what people would then say to you? Is it because you're afraid of what that means? Is it because you think there's, is it because you think that being a feminist is a bad thing because there are, you know, millions and millions and millions of people who need it. <laughs> Speaking of needing feminism, we also often talk about, we hear women say, well, I, I don't, I don't need feminism. I'm fine without feminism, but you know what has enabled you to be able to say that feminism because, right, because feminism is, was women advocating for the right to vote, right? It was, is women advocating for the right to work, for the right to do all of these different things. And it's also, it just, it's a, so it's great in some ways that women think they don't need feminism, but feminism is what has gotten us to where we are today and which can and will take us to where we can continue to go. Because it is so much further for us here as white, reasonably privileged women in the United States. But consider the plight of women around the world. Women who are doused in acid because they leave their husbands. Women who are stoned to death because somebody else looked at them the wrong way. Right? Women around the world need feminism, womanism, right? They need movements that speak up for their rights as human beings. And for us here in the West in our, you know, lofty little whatever and worrying about equal pay in soccer teams is very important. It is because it's representative of this whole issue. But we sit over here and we bicker about, you know, 10 or 20 percent on salaries. But other people, are, other women are being killed and stoned and tortured because they don't have feminism. And that's just that's a real thing. And I think it's important for us as women to have these conversations. And it's fine with me if you don't identify as a feminist, but I will continue to try to change your mind because I really do believe that the reason people don't identify with feminism is, is not, it's not because feminism is bad or about man hating or anything. It's rather because of the way that it's portrayed and these like cultural things that barriers that we have in us desires to be accepted that we have in us that make us afraid, you know, afraid of the movement and engaging it and not wanting to engage it. Whereas engaging it can actually be the most liberating thing and social justice promoting thing we can possibly do for the other people who really need this kind of support. So back to women's soccer, right? No, 
there's my feminism detour. And, uh, I, at, in episode 79, I just figured after having been the paleo women podcast for 79 episodes, we talk about female empowerment all the time. And I just want to put a label on that, that I think it's feminism. Yay. Um, I think that was beautiful, a beautiful description. I will, um, I will add. Be I, editing that entire thing out of the podcast. <laughs> no, I will not. Um, I will add, I've been wanting to tell you this story. Um, and I, I have an interesting perspective because my husband is in the military. And recently, so he has a master's in leadership and he's learned a lot about leading and leading different individuals and his eyes are more open now because I am constantly, like I said to, to Steph before, I'm con like once you are be become aware of how women are discussed and talked about and how, um, you know, women don't get as much pay as men. Like it's that's happened to me. And it, it, it seems, you know, it almost seems normal, Stephanie. Like, I mean, I, re I remember my previous work situation. Uh, I was not getting paid near as much. Uh, while I had the same responsibility and the same, I was putting in the same hours, um, you know, I wasn't getting paid as much, but I just kind of thought that that was okay. But then once you kind of like step back and you're like, why is that okay? Um, or I'm getting married or I have a boyfriend, you know, at the time I was, I was getting married, like they thought it was okay to pay me less, right? And it's because they didn't perceive me as like a breadwinner, but, but why? You know what I mean? Why is that? Why can't I be? Um, and so, you know, once you kind of uh, like you, you can't unsee that kind of stuff. You start to see things through a different lens. And, um, so I'm, I'm going to try to keep this as neutral as possible without, <laughs> without tearing, I mean, trying to express myself without giving specifics, but we were checking out of the Marine Corps. This is a story I wanted to tell you stuff, but we were checking out of the Marine Corps and, um, three enlisted Marines came into the room and they were chatting and my husband had left and he wasn't in the room anymore. And I was sitting in there and they were talking about, and this is not to characterize enlisted Marines, right? I'm not saying every enlisted Marine is like this. I'm not saying all Marines are like this, but they came into the room and they were talking about some other guy and they were kind of joking around with him about him. And they were kind of tearing him down saying, you know, gosh, you know, he's so, Blah, blah, blah. He's this and that. He's, he's such an ogre. And gosh, all he cares about is working out. And all he's so big. His muscles are so huge. Like, what's that all about? And um, I don't even know why they were saying this about him. But then, the, you know, one of the dudes was like, you know what you should do? You should go into his office, walk into the door, open the door and be like, you know what? Who, what whatever his name is, we'll call him George. You know what, George? You are a girl. Yeah, you should go call him a girl. Say, dude, you're a female. You are a female. And I like was sitting there. I was sitting there like literally not even a foot away from him. And I was like, I had that moment of like, do I say something? Do I not say something? And like my heart started beating faster. And I was because what I really wanted to say, and I didn't end up saying this, but what I really wanted to say was, I'm sorry, I'm a female and I'm sitting here. What's so wrong with being a female? Like, I am sitting right here, and you're going to say, talk, give an insult by calling another Marine a female? Like, really? 
And I mean, I, I don't, I didn't expect them to understand that or hear me or to be changed by that. So I just kind of left it. Plus we were in a little bit of a professional environment. My husband is uniform and I was like, it's just not the time. And so I kind of let it, let it go. But I had this whole discussion. I, I, I like finally, once we got out of there, I said, I mean, I, I, my husband kind of like had heard it, you know, got an earful. And I was like, I was like, how is this so drilled into our society that we have made it? And it's a pretty normal thing that we, we call other people girls as an insult and we call other people females as an insult. What is wrong with being a female? Why have we decided to characterize what it means to be a girl or a female? And what they were meaning to say was, oh, a sissy or, oh, you're weak or you're uh, needy or you're, you know, they, they meant all these things. But what they had done and what society has done is characterize that as being a girl or being female. And so, you know, what I wanted to say and what I was ranting to my husband about was when they have a daughter, do they want their daughter, their girl, their young girl to know that they used her, what she is, as an insult to other men or, you know, to other people, their friends? Like they used what she is as an insult because she apparently is not as good as a male or the whatever she is because she she is weak and she is small and she is going to cry like is that and that's not okay like or or that's less than being a boy or that's less than being a girl like would they be okay with um you know you do you think she would be okay with you using how would she how would she feel if she knew her dad was using being a girl as an insult or how would your future wife feel knowing or how would your mom feel knowing that you were using being female as an insult and, you know, like Ken just kind of sat there and listened to me the whole time. And he was like, I, I 100% agree with you. And he said, you know, this is the problem. And, and as a, you know, they go through, um, as a drill instructor, you go through, uh, or you go through um, a lot as, you know, both, you know, officers and enlisted. I'm not characterizing anybody, but, you know, Marines, there is a culture and uh, they use, fe- you know, being female and calling people girls as an insult and it's constant and it's it's something that drill instructors use and I just I don't see how that's like appropriate and some people may say oh you're just whining and what they really meant was you know uh you know weak-minded or blah 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 but why are why is that how we characterize our girls and why are we teaching our girls that that's the way that they should be why can't they be strong and empowered because I can probably tell you I'm way stronger I'm uh much more capable than a lot of men out there right like I could probably run farther and do a lot more than most men out there so why is it that we have characterized females as it's you're weaker and you complain more and you're more emotional. Like that's the box that we put females in and that's the way that we depict them. And so that's how it's characterized a lot. Um, I, um, I heard a meme, saw a meme the other day that said, like, if you think women are crazy because they have emotions, you've never been hit on by a man and then told that he was going to kill you in the same breath. Right? Like we, we have this idea that like, oh, women are crazy. Women are right. emotional. Oh, my God. But I, that's just something that comes from men being in power for centuries and needing, literally needing to oppress women so that they could maintain that power. And I'm not saying this was consciously done at all. Right. But then it sort of perpetuates itself. And 
thinking women are weak begets thinking women are weak, right? And all of a sudden, it's just a part of the way that you do things. And, you know, it's unfortunate. And I, I'm glad that I sort of detoured here. And I'm really sorry that I cut you off. I'll just say this and then be done. Um, you know, feminism is about liberating women to not be confined to this weak, little, right, frail, gendered role, right, right. that needs to be cared of. But it is also about liberating men to no longer be trapped into the gender roles that they've been ascribed, right? So mm -hmm. it's a huge problem for our world, a huge, huge, huge problem, perhaps uh, arguably the biggest problem that men are conditioned to, uh, to not have emotions, to be cold, to be hard, to be, as these people Noel are talking about, to be like tough guys, right? Who don't feel things. Men have been conditioned to that way. They have been dehumanized in a lot of ways and it's incredibly damaging. And, and I think probably not fun for a lot of people. I'm not saying everybody, I'm not saying people are damaged, but it is, it's, it's hurtful and it makes it hard for you to communicate and to love and to be happy. And I think incites men to violence often, right? It's not the only thing, but there are a lot of, and a, a substance abuse, right? Men abuse substances a lot more than women do. Like there are a lot of things that are very, that really negatively happen to men because of the gender roles into which both men and women have been forced. And so we're, what we're trying to do is just eliminate that and to get rid of the gendered insults, which are just terrible and indicative, right? Like you cannot, you cannot deny the fact that they exist. And also that they work on us subconsciously to make us think these things, like women are weak. It's really interesting that uh, Noelle brought up the um, playing like a girl thing because this will tie us back to women's soccer. Because <laughs> Obama was talking, you know, was talking about the team to the team. And he said, well, you know what y'all have proved? It's that uh, playing like a girl means you're a badass. Right. <laughs> so playing like cool. a girl means playing like a badass. Which, yeah. and that's kind of what, like, to me, that's what feminism is, 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 um, you know, and I think we exemplified here, even with the health and fitness mindset is, is it allowing women to be what they want to be, right? <laughs> to like, yes. um, exist in the world the way they want to exist in the world and to buck the, the idea that we need to feel shame or guilt for existing a certain way, um, that may not be standard or follow the ideals or the norms, that we can eat in a way that fulfills us, that there is an individuality thing here that studies shouldn't just be done on men, that they should be done on women as well because we are different and we have, we are just as worthy of um, health and, and individualized health and, and research, right? And so we're all about looking through the lens of, okay, women are different and, and we have differences, uh, but we're also equal. Um, and that's kind of what we've been talking about with the, you know, the Paleo Women podcast. But to me, you know, feminism is more allowing women to express themselves the way that they want to express themselves and exist in the world the way that they want to exist and not to have any sort of, um, you know, constraints of you are weaker. You are, this is the way that you need to exist. And women with muscles, it's just not attractive and, um, you should probably be thinner and you should probably stay at home. And, and if you want to stay at home, great. That's, that's the beauty of feminism. But if, if you don't 
um, that's cool too. Like you have all these opportunities available to you. And just because you act a certain way or you have different qualities than men, um, doesn't mean that you're not fit for the Marine Corps or it doesn't mean that you're, um, you know, you're weaker than <laughs> most of the males out there. Uh, you know, I was, I was, I was so, it was so hard not to say anything and not to even challenge that dude and be like, I'm sorry, you know, being a female to me is probably, uh, being a lot stronger than you are. You know what I mean? Like, that's what it means to me. So that's maybe a lot more than we planned on talking, but I think that that's a really, it's an important discussion and it's probably something that you, you know, our audience and, and this community at large has seen, um, laced throughout all of our answers. <laughs> uh, but here it's just a little bit more like this is what it means to us. So. So, yeah. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Please come back and listen to us again next week. Hey, we next, love you. Next week we'll probably talk about paleo. <laughs> <laughs> the paleo for Women podcast. We just talked about the second half. I know. All. I know. Thanks, guys and gals, for being here with us. We appreciate it. I know that there are some men out there, and I know that we've actually gotten emails about men who have struggled with the gender roles and have struggled with being stay-at-home dads and the uh, the stress and the oppression that they kind of feel because it's like, um, you know, I actually had an email from somebody saying that, uh, you know, they struggle personally because a lot of people always make comments like, oh, did your dad dress you? And, uh, oh, great, the kids are at home with dad. And he's like, why does that, why am I supposed to not be a great parent? Like, why am I the one that's supposed to have, you know, not know how to take care of my kids? I'm the, I'm the stay-at-home parent. I take care of my kids. And so, you know, it's, it's not just for women. I love that you said that too. It's also uh, for men and for all of us existing and, and doing what we want to do without, um, constraints or feeling shame or guilt for whatever it is that we're doing so yeah all right any other <laughs> yeah. last minute thoughts steph annie no i'm all set okay I'm super happy fantastic for more from me noel you can go to coconutsandkettlebells.com and for more from Stephanie, you can go to paleoforwomen.com. Make sure to follow us on Instagram. You can follow us at Paleo Women Podcast for all the information on upcoming episodes there. Talk to you next week. <laughs>